0: Good morning. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all today. Those in person and those online, welcome. Today is a fifth Sunday of the month, and on our fifth Sundays, we like to mix it up a little bit. And so in about two minutes' time, we're going to have an open mic sharing from all of you. Pastor Brenda will walk around with a mic. um, So you can be thinking now about what you can share in terms of during this Jesus Way series, what is something that you have been encouraged by, maybe challenged by? What is something you have learned? And we want to hear from the community. Uh, We want to hear from all of you. And if you're online as well, you can type into the chat box what's something you've been learning or encouraged by or challenged by during this series. So let's recap first um, to remind you about where this series has gone. And we've been using this image, this image of creation where heaven and earth were completely overlapped. And then at the fall, there was this split. And since that time, God has been wanting to draw those things back together. Heaven back on earth, And so this is what this series is about, is how did Jesus do that, specifically looking at Jesus in that overlap, that kingdom of God, if you will, that new creation, that overlap where things here are as they are in heaven, and we get to be a part of that. So we're calling it the Jesus Way, and we began with faith in the wilderness and to not sort of deny that you're in the wilderness. And we talked about Jesus going into the wilderness and the challenges that he faced. And on that Sunday, we had people write on their rocks, what is something or someone who has been a wilderness experience for you? And you brought them up and you set them down at the cross, Pastor Brenda talked about the Holy Spirit. And this question, does the Holy Spirit have you, Um, was a pointed one and an important one for us to wrestle with. When we talked about unity or uniformity, we talked about this idea of um, Jesus's prayer um, for unity. And we talked about, are we a bounded or a centered set church where Are we more concerned about bringing people to Jesus or trying to figure out who is in and and who is out? And bounded set churches really emphasize this line in between. They want be right behaviors. They want, you know, sort of right ways of doing community the way we do them. And so they put boundaries in and, and don't allow you into this. Um, unless you are behaving exactly how we want you to behave. And then, of course, we talked about the cross, and we're a centered church, bringing Jesus to the people, but bringing the people to Jesus. And then Paul talks about, in Romans 14, how do we walk through disputable matters that we don't divide over disputable matters? Unity or uniformity. Last week we talked about ministering in the margins and the importance of getting proximate, getting near those who are different from us, seeking a truthful narrative, staying hopeful. And being willing to be a stone catcher, we looked at the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery and how he ministers and doesn't condemn in that moment. And so I want to open the floor to all of you to share um, during this series, what's something that has been an encouragement or something that you've been walking through or thinking about during this series? And if you lift up your hand, Pastor Brenda We'll bring you the mic. You can also, if you're online, you can type it into the chat box and we'll read those off as well. Let's hear from all of you.
1: I'm challenged by um, the willingness to be a stone catcher. It really needs a lot of courage and stepping outside of my comfort zone.
0: Mm. Yeah, courage to be a stone catcher. Thank you, Phoebe.
1: <clears throat> on the matter of the disputable matters, because um, a lot of times in our mind, there's nothing to dispute, <laughs> and that's why we're so firm in thinking that I'm right and the other person is wrong. Mm-hmm. So the the humility and the willingness to look at something and agree that is probably disputable because I'm not God and I don't decide. It's also some—it's a way to look at situations and not um, be so fixed that there's only one way to look at the matter.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you, Sheila. Yeah, disputable matters, right? Sometimes the right and the wrong is the priority for us and not actually living together in unity. It does require humility, yeah. Other sharing? Yeah, Vicky.
1: Um, Last week, I'm reminded that um, the stone that we throw may not be a physical stone, but it's a look or a word I say that will hurt people. Mm. So um, especially uh, strangers who don't know me, that is the first thing that they uh, see um, from me, the face or what I say to them. So, um, yeah, a very good reminder.
0: Yeah, yeah. The stones for most of us, hopefully, are not physical stones, but we still have those things, right? Looks, a word. Um, We still find ways to condemn others and to be mindful of how we are treating people in those moments. Yeah, good, good. Uh, Janny online says, unity does not require uniformity. To me, this is spiritual maturity and humility expressed. Andrew says, challenged by the hatred in society as a result of COVID, causing unease and staying in Christ to deal with it, in the peace and in Christ. Yeah, thank you. Hi. Yeah, Josiah. Uh,
2: I guess um, the image of a stone catcher is also very resonant to me, and mm. it- sort of intersects with proximity very much for me because um, especially knowing that stones in those days were not little pebbles, they were large rocks that they would find on the side, on the mountainside. and Yeah. Throw. yeah. And to really, to be able to see and catch those stones in time, you have to be close to the person that's being stoned. And mm. that's a very resonant image for me. Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah, thanks, Josiah. I mean, these stones seem big here, but these are actually small stones even um, compared to what have really been used. And to get proximate, to be a stone catcher means you've got to be close enough to be hit by one of those stones yourself. And so it is dangerous. We do need courage um, to step into those places. Anybody else like to share? We've got time. The longer you share, the shorter I preach. So it's... A, it's, it's
2: a <laughs> I'll say something. Hmm. Yeah. Since, oh, yeah, so... Since you're talking about stones, I think, you know, um, when you were talking about being a stone catcher, I think what really stirred in me was uh, we, sometimes we might just sit idly by and let the stones go. So it's like, oh, I did not throw the stone, right? Um, um, And I did not, um, you know, so I think a challenge, right? Like how much do we sit idly by and just oh, not my business, not my business, you know. Um, so yeah.
0: Just, yeah. yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, in that story, right? You could be a stone thrower. You could be a to somebody on the fringe, not getting involved, right? Not getting uh, inconvenienced, uh, not putting yourself at risk. And um, it does take courage to step into those situations. Thank you, Brenda. Well, today we talk about power and. Where does our power come from? And I was struck by this quote um, a few months ago, I heard it. The source of your power determines the shape of your power. What is the source of your power? Think through what are those things that in your life you think, yeah, this is what my life is kind of built on. This is what makes me who I am. Is it your job title? Is it your education? Is it the size of your bank account or salary? Is it the number of deals you've closed? Is it your reputation? Is it the number of followers on social media? What are the things that um, are the source of your power or the source of your security? Is it the size of the church, right? That's when I've wrestled with, especially stepping into the senior role. Because what the source of your power is will determine the shape of it. Now, I want to look at how Jesus did this, and so we'll be looking at John 13 and looking at this important story here, and it will be on the screen here. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and you just get this story after story of Jesus being with his people to the end. He goes on, verse 2, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So here we have this Passover festival. It's Holy Week. Uh, This is the Last Supper. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God just want to pause there. Sometimes this story is so familiar that we can lose the impact of it, but this verse 3 just kept resonating for me this week, that the Father had put some things under his power, right? No, all things, all things, right? Under whose power? Jesus' power, all things. And he was from God, and he was returning to God. Now, I'm a fan of Marvel and superheroes, right? And I was thinking, wow, Jesus had all the power, all things. And he's this amazing figure, right, that could fight against evil. How did he use that power, all of that power that he got from the Father, right? That was the source of his power. He had all the power. And how does he use it? Verse 4, this is maybe not what you would expect, especially if you're a superhero fan. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This was the shape of Jesus' power. I brought up a stole here, and I don't wear this often. And, and this was one that you know, was made for me, and it has the Hong Kong um, skyline on it. it I, I love this stole, and occasionally we wear it. But the history of these stoles is the history of this story. It's the towel. Right? It's meant to be that towel of washing feet, of serving, and, and now they're decorative and, and pretty and, and we don't use them to wash feet. But this is the image that is invoked with the stole of reflecting Jesus, of walking through that deep serving of other people. Now, we're, we're not going to kind of the whole story here. We're skipping over the part, that little drama with Peter, where he's like, don't wash my feet, right? This incredible act of humility um, that Jesus himself was doing. Um, but he misses Jesus' point in doing this. And what Jesus lets him know and lets us know that if we belong to Jesus, that we have to allow him to wash us. If we belong to Jesus We have to allow him to cleanse us, which is, in fact, what he does. The story continues, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So John, in his gospel, tells us at the beginning that the Word was God, right? and the Word was with God. That was who Jesus was. The word became flesh, right? He sets aside his clothes of glory, right? He sets aside his position and is born man, became human. And he comes to wash feet. He had come from God and was going back to God. And this is his posture. It's not that God, you know, this amazing Jesus, God in human flesh, Isn't that crazy that he washed feet? No. Washing feet is what he had to do because he was from God. That's who God is. Jesus is reflecting that. That's his very nature. And he invites the disciples into that same journey. This is very close to the crucifixion that Jesus does this. The very next time that we will see him without clothes is when he is crucified. He is on this journey, and the foot washing is another step to that. The way he is serving and giving of himself and ultimately gives his life for the life of the world, for the life of you and me. In verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know who Jesus is, you have seen what Jesus does, you have received from Jesus, do these things and you will be blessed if you do them. See, Jesus was, his source was his father, right? He knew where his strength came from. He knew where his power came from and it shaped how he used it it shaped it into serving. This is why we're passionate about people serving at community church. We want everybody to be able to serve. It reflects Jesus' heart. I know just yesterday a group from Shine, I think we had like 15 kids and parents up at Crossroads, you know, serving. This week we had a group that went to sons and daughters, um, Belisha's in the back there, and she led them through this informational setting and prayer walk through the neighborhood and the ministry that they do. We want to invite you to serving. If you're not serving, jump into something. Try something out, whether it's ushering on a Sunday or joining one of our ministry partners. We want to invite you to that. So the source of your power determines the shape of your power. If you don't connect with the word power necessarily, Replace it with security. The source of your security determines the shape of your security. It determines what you're going to hold on to, what you're going to prioritize, how you're going to live your life. For Jesus, it was to serve. It was humility. It was in giving his life. Now, most of us, whatever we think about when we think of that source of our power, or source of our security, probably somehow tie it to success. If I do well, if I am successful, that is, will be you know, what I'm going after. That will determine the shape of what I'm doing. And, and definitely if success is our priority, we will want to avoid failure. We will want to avoid things where we will not succeed. Failure becomes the worst outcome because then we don't look good, right? This isn't just an issue for the business world, but also for schools, for nonprofits, for churches. See, when we live in a culture and in a time that is really permeated with the idolatry of success, What have you done lately, right? It shapes how we live. Unless it's bigger or better or becoming more popular, then we don't think it's successful. It's a failure. When I go to a pastor's conference and I'm meeting other pastors, what do you think one of the first questions is? Yeah, yeah. What is the size of your church, right? (laughs) And I was listening to John Ortberg, a pastor in, in the U.S., share about this once. And he was talking about going to one of his per, pastor conferences, and, and that question arises. And he was like, Should I fudge a little bit? You know, if it's 300, should I say 350? And he's like, You know what? If I'm going to lie about my numbers anyway, I might as well go big. He's like, <laughs> Church of 3,000, you know, why not? Right? And, and if that is the source of your power, of your security, that will be your goal, right? The size of your church. And I confess my own wrestling with this. And when I've been at community for 15 years, and most of those years doing spiritual formation or executive pastor, and it was like, oh, the size of our church. That's not what it's about. It's about spiritual growth and discipleship. I could care less about that number. I become the senior pastor. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's COVID. People are moving away. The size of my church. Oh my gosh. It revealed in my own heart insecurity, right? What was I going to go after? What was the source of my power? It was how many people that show up on a Sunday, how many views we get online. I had to bring that to God, confess it, repent of it, and continue to walk that way of Jesus. See, we can talk about ministry in worldly terms of success as well, and it can be tempting to go after the easy things to count. But biblical success is different. Biblical success could look like failure in the world's eyes. Look at the prophet Jeremiah. God gives Jeremiah the call to tell the people to repent, to turn back. And here's the rub. like God told Jeremiah the people aren't going to listen. They're not going to respond. And that's what Jeremiah spent his life doing, is calling the people to repent. And guess what? He was not successful, right? Nobody repented. And if that was the only view of what Jeremiah's life would amount to, maybe that would be it. But Jeremiah was faithful. It didn't look like success, but he was faithful. And we still benefit from his faithfulness today. How many of you love to read Jeremiah? I know 20, 29 11 is a favorite. Right of many people. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. Plans to prosper you. There's a lot of encouragement that we derive, but if you were to look at Jeremiah's life itself, he's a prophet. Told the people to repent, nobody did. Jonah, on the other hand, successful in worldly terms, but not faithful. He ran the other way. He cared nothing about the people of Nineveh, and yet he got you know 100% altar call at the end of his sermon. See, if success is the goal, it will determine the shape of how you live, of how you hear God, of what you think he might call you to. If a life that involves failing at all costs, avoiding that, then we have to take it up with Jesus himself and the example he gives us. We look at Philippians 2. Where we hear, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, three years of ministry at the time of his crucifixion, almost nobody there. Abandoned, betrayed, denied, fail. This is what his disciples were thinking that day, fail, right? When he ascended to heaven not too long after that, maybe a hundred people, maybe a hundred people. This is Jesus, right? Um, You might expect a little more. When we consider that Jesus faced rejection, crucifixion, that he died on a cross, that was seen as being cursed. If our snapshot of Jesus' ministry ends there, we would probably assess failure, but we know the rest of the story. We know the seeds that were planted. We know his calling and how the Holy Spirit worked in that failure, if you will, to bring life, to bring transformation, to bring change to the world. See, we must allow the Bible to challenge our ideas of success, our priorities, and how we live. We must allow Jesus' life to challenge us in what we go after. See, success in the Bible is redefined as faithfulness, faithfulness, living out what God has called us to do. And God has stuff for us to do part of our vision at community is love doing good and and Paul unpacks this idea we're not going to go to those chapters but Paul says that God equips every faithful person for work that contributes to the good of community and so I want to hear from voices of community today I've asked John who you saw earlier on the worship team John come on forward let's welcome him up Brenda will have a mic for you there John um, and I've gotten to know your story a little bit, but first, just introduce yourself to us, John. Okay.
2: Um, yeah, my name's uh, John Davis, and um, originally I grew up in the in California. I went to the same middle school as Wade. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I was there a little earlier than John. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I've been in Hong Kong about
0: five years now. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, what drew you uh, to the work that you're doing? What is what is your kind of title there?
2: Right. So. Um, I work at an NGO here in Hong Kong. Um, I'm a lawyer by profession, um, and I work for an NGO called PillNet. So that's an abbreviation for Public Interest Law Network. Um, Yeah, so what drew me to this work? So I started my career sort of as every young lawyer. I'm going to change the world, and I actually, the last day of the California bar exam, I I think the last day, the day after, I flew to India, and I worked for two years on a bonded labor project, Mm -hmm. and I was on a high... And then um, I got a job in New York where I was helped doing a lot of humanitarian parole cases and working with um, re- reuniting families. And it was really, you know, I, I, this is what I want to do. And then reality hit and student loans, uh, reality hit. I joined a big firm, moved to London, and I had only corporate clients. So um, I suppose what drew me back to the, you know, after a decade of um, working 12-hour days and weekends, um, I became very disillusioned. And I said, you know, this is not what I what I want to be doing with my life. The years were speeding by. And I just saw myself as someone who was in a very privileged position, one of the few, a small fraction of the people in the world who were able to choose a profession and, you know, do what they thought would make them happy. And I was missing all of that. So through a very random series of events, I managed to... Um, Meet a few key people here in Hong Kong. I was told you'll never get a job as a human rights lawyer or doing anything like that in Hong Kong, so don't even bother. Um, but through a very random series of events, which I consider very a divine series of events, I managed to um, meet um, someone who who offered me a job at an NGO. So I worked at Justice Center Hong Kong with refugees and asylum seekers, and about a year and a half ago, I moved to my current job at Pillnet.
0: All right. Well, thank you, John. What does it mean for you to be faithful in your work? Or or how do you steward the power that you've been given? Um, A few things I've learned over the years. One, I suppose, would be,
2: you know, as a Christian, um, picturing myself, you know, I have my own defender. I have my own advocate, who is Christ. And without him, I would, I don't have, I couldn't put together a (laughs) defense and I would fail miserably. And so on a very, very small scale, I know like I'm able to do that for the clients I work with. And I think for me, that's a really powerful motivation. Um, Also, as I've learned now that I work with a lot of pro bono, so basically I help provide pro bono support to other NGOs. So I get to meet with lots of different NGOs all over Hong Kong doing amazing things and find lawyers to take up, you know, to, to handle cases for them. So seeing those NGOs um, as, in, in treating them on par with the paying clients I used to have. I used to represent a lot of celebrities who mm. were extremely demanding, mm. and I would do whatever it took to keep them happy. Mm. The question, will I do whatever it takes to keep NGO clients who aren't paying me anything mm. the, same, the same level? And I'm completely undeserving. Christ is my advocate in, in, in court. And so being able to do that, um, it really gives me, I think, a lot of motivation that I certainly didn't have before. It was more fear of <laughs> not fear was the motivating factor. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: All right. Awesome. Thank you, John, so much for sharing from your story today. Let's thank John. So, I think sometimes we wrestle with looking at the life of Jesus and emulating him because what Jesus does is hard, right? Humility is hard, serving others is hard, serving the needs of the community is difficult. And the more power you've been given, the harder it is. I think we may misunderstand how God works in this world sometimes, right? We go back to Genesis and we we see that we are made in his image, his likeness. We're to reflect God in this world. And how does God work in this world? We see that through the life of Jesus. Many of us have lots of power. We're in roles of leadership. And the temptation is to use this power for our own benefit, for ourselves. To see the stuff that we have and and bringing more of it to us, right? I love how Henry Nouwen speaks to this, this same temptation of this issue in the church. The long, painful history of the church is the history of people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, being a leader over being Led. What is our vision here? It's to love God, to love others, to love doing good, right? Is the purpose to be successful? Not in a worldly sense. To be faithful, yes. See, the job of the church isn't to grow a big number, to increase, to get a bigger building. The role of the church is to look like Jesus, to look like Jesus and to follow wherever he leads. I'm not against growing, but our goal is to look like Jesus, to be that to this city, to be that to our community, to be that in our families. If it doesn't look like Jesus, then it isn't Christian Nowin says we long to be relevant, spectacular, and powerful. And this is the toxic cocktail refused by Jesus in the wilderness where we started this journey. To be spectacular, he resists that temptation. This overlap, right? This kingdom overlap. I saw this video clip from Tim Keller several months ago, and I thought this is the right time to show it. He talks about what is this new creation, what does life look like in the kingdom? And we didn't talk about the story he references here, but the disciples were coming to Jesus, right? And said, okay, this new kingdom, this new order, what does that look like? Who gets to lead? Who gets to be on top? And let's watch this now.
1: say, well, in a kingdom, you've got people at the top, and you've got people in the middle, and you've got people at the bottom. A kingdom has a structure to it. A kingdom has a hierarchy to it, actually. They came to Jesus and asked, who will have the highest honor and recognition in this kingdom you're bringing? When Jesus responds, he gives us the most counterintuitive, upside-down, inside-out understanding of true human greatness that's ever been enunciated. Whoever humbles himself, whoever takes the lowest position like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The world's understanding of greatness is, I have to struggle, I have to compete, I have to win, I have to achieve my greatness. That creates an insecurity in you. And because of that, it means that you, when, when you walk into a room, you immediately filter out the people who can't help you come up. You're looking for people who enhance your credibility. Jesus says the mark of true greatness is you don't scream people like that. You welcome them. You're open to them. Jesus says, the greatest in the kingdom is the one who's come the lowest. Who has come the lowest? Jesus Christ, who was the highest, went the lowest. He's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven.
0: I found that clip to be very relatable because I think on some level, all of us can wrestle with what does it mean to be great? in this world, in our lives, in this kingdom that God has called us into. I want to finish with this image um, that you see here of of Jesus washing uh, Peter's feet. The source of your power determines the shape of your power. Our source is Jesus himself, Jesus. That's what we're to look like. That's what our church is to look like. And it shapes the use of our power to serve, to give, to humble, to love. Our source, Jesus, cannot be taken away from us. He is more than willing to bring his power to us. And he can shape us, church, as individuals, as families, as a church family, and how we live in this world. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you, in fact, are um, present, and I pray, God, that you would continue to, to, to speak to us in this time of reflection, that it will be a time to draw near to you and you would draw near to us. Continue your work of ministry, I pray, Jesus. Amen. The um, front will be open here um, for those that would like to come and kneel. Um, We're singing a song about coming to the altar, coming to Jesus, laying down what is in us. And um, that might be pride, that might be ego. Um, It might be, hey, we just need to hold on tight to Jesus right now, whatever we're walking through. So we will open up this. There's candles here. Um, Candles are a wonderful symbol of hope that God is in fact present. Um, He has not left us nor abandoned us. Let's continue our worship church.